At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, good morning. It is good to see you here on this holiday weekend. Now, I want to begin by just acknowledging that there is this event that only happens one day each year. One day. Labor Day. That's when men, women, and children are allowed to walk across the Mackinac Bridge. I don't know if you're aware of that, but this... This event will be led by our current governor and an estimated 65,000 people will walk their way across the five-mile expanse that is known as the Mackinac Bridge. They're going to do that tomorrow. Happens one day per year and I want you to know that this is an event that has been happening in our state since 1958. Kind of the pinnacle was when President George... Herbert Walker Bush, uh, during his presidency, showed up in 1992, and he walked across the bridge with 85,000 of uh, his friends and Michiganders in the festivities to walk across the Mackinac Bridge. Now, I want you to know that since 2017, all vehicular traffic and all boating traffic underneath the bridge comes to a stop during that segment of time for the walk. It all stops. For a few hours each Labor Day, you could say it is all about the walk. Now today we're going to be beginning a long walk of our own. It's probably not going to take us to the Mackinac Bridge or across the Mackinac Bridge, but what we are going to be doing is beginning a journey through the New Testament book of Romans. The New Testament book of Romans. Now the first segment of this journey will take us uh, over the course of the next seven weeks. We're going to be looking at Romans chapters 5, 6, and 7. Then what we're going to do is we're going to hit the pause button. We're going to have one week off at the end of October. And then we are going to jump back in for a five-week series unpacking the significance and the richness that is Romans 8. So we're going to be spending fall on a journey through the heart of the book of Romans. And I want to encourage you, as your pastor, I want to encourage you not to brush this off and just say this is another sermon series. We do one every Sunday and then we go five weeks and then we change again and then we do it again and again. I want you to really truly enter into this experience. Now, when I say enter into it, what I want you to do is I want you to recognize that Woodside provides a Bible reading plan that goes along with most of our series, and this one is no different. And so what we're asking you and what we're going to be providing for you is an opportunity for you to text this number. It's an old slide, disregard the February 15th, but I asked Kurt to pull this up so you guys had the details of what it would look like uh, to text Devo to that number. 
devotional. That's what that's short for. 248 7100710 and that will get you signed up for our reading plan. Now I'm going to just acknowledge that that is going to be important because what we will do over the course of the next few months is give you an opportunity to read consistently and read the entire book of Romans. We're not covering all of Romans in our sermon series, but I do want you to have a complete and full picture of the book. So sign up for that reading plan and track with me. I'm going to be doing it in my personal uh, time with God, and I hope that you will join me as we do. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second. Pastor, you are kind of doing this hard sell thing when it comes to Romans. What is that about? Why such a huge emphasis and such a hard push on the book of Romans? Fair questions. Rather than explain it myself, I'm going to call upon some spiritual giants, some spiritual heroes of the faith, if you will, and they're going to explain for you in just a couple phrases the significance of the book of Romans. William Tyndale, the guy who was popular for translating the Bible, here's what he said about Romans. He said, the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament, that's Romans. The guy who translated the scriptures says that this is the highlight of the New Testament. Perhaps we should pay attention. <laughs> then another guy by the name of John Calvin once said, he said, if you understand Romans, you have a sure road open to understanding the whole of scripture. In other words, if you read Romans, if you open Romans and dig into Romans, you will have a clear and solid understanding and a grasp of what all of Scripture kind of points to and covers. That is the significance of Romans. And so that's why I want to encourage you as your pastor to read and to reflect upon the book of Romans this fall. As I said, I'm going to be doing it and I hope that you and your family will join me. Now, you might say, well, I got that. I heard you. Why is it so important? What is really in the book of Romans that is so significant? What we're going to find is that Romans is theologically rich. It is gospel-centered in its very nature. It has life-changing words that Paul communicates in a way that is clear and concise and direct. It's all there. That is the book of Romans. And it was penned by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And what he's trying to do is give us a firm foundation for our faith. He wants you and I to know that if you are in Christ today, these things are true. So let's take a look. 
That's what he's talking about. He wants us to know what the foundation of our faith is. Now, I mentioned that we were going to be starting our series in chapter 5. We're going to look at chapter 6, then we'll look at chapter 7. We might think, well, wait a second, uh, what about the first four chapters? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of give a brief overview. I'm not going to do kind of a sermon within a sermon, um, but I do want to highlight a few passages that will give us context. I often talk about the importance of context as we read any passage passage of scripture. And so this is going to be true for us today. So I want us to see this kind of clear roadmap that Paul is giving us for our journey. So I want to turn your attention to chapter one. I'm just going to give a few passages that will highlight the the journey until we get to our text today. So in chapter one, Paul establishes the good news. Here's what he says. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wants us to know that the good news of Jesus Christ brings salvation to all who believe. Your nationality, your background, your political affiliation doesn't matter. What does matter is the righteousness that is only received through faith. The righteousness that you have in Christ is only received through faith in him. And this is wonderful news because I want you to know the the second chapter of Romans kind of does a little twist for us, kind of gives us a, a little turn. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you uh, are storing up wrath against yourself when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That got a little more intense, didn't it? Then we get to Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How many people do good? None. Paul has established that. Not one individual does good according to the apostle. You see, sin is the great equalizer. Whether you, would, you are a Jew, whether you are a Greek, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you are smart and intelligent, wealthy, doesn't matter. Makes no difference. Sin is at the heart of all of us. We are all guilty about turning away from God, turning away from his ways. All of our good works then mean nothing in the eyes of a holy God. If we stopped right there, that would be pretty bad news, wouldn't it? Thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there. Instead, he offers some awesome news just a few verses later in chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law because why? We couldn't keep the law. Though the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Through faith in Christ, God gives you and me his righteousness. 
Church, that's fantastic news. As we work through the first few chapters of Romans, you hear good news and then you hear truth about the weightiness of sin and the impact on you and me. And then you get to this end of chapter 3 and you hear that we have been made righteous through Christ. It's fantastic. And then in chapter 4, Paul helps you and I understand how we can experience that righteousness. Here's what he writes. God will credit righteousness for all who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and then he was raised in righteousness. Again, great news. Now I want to just be honest, that's a much too quick summary of the first four chapters of Romans. But I do want us to grab a hold of the fact that there is good news and there is truth that speaks difficult news for all of us. And then we get good news again. And that gives us the proper context for us as we move ahead into our series, specifically Romans chapter 5 through 7. Now, the name of the series is called Newish. Everything has changed. And then there's this little question at the end. Have you? Have you? For any of us to answer that question that our series title poses, we must read and reflect on it ourselves. So let's do that together. I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. We're going to be reading Romans chapter 5. We're going to start right there in the first verse and read through 1 through 11. So, Will you read with me the Apostle Paul, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And our endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much, uh, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For a while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pause right there. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christ followers in the city of Rome, thus the title Romans. The church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And what Paul is seeking to do 
is clearly establish the foundation of the gospel and how that gospel should bring unity among God's people. But beyond unity, how believers should be strengthened in our faith, strengthened for the journey that lies ahead. You might say, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens through a theological term called justification. Justification. And that's really going to serve as the Foundation for three realities that we need to look at and engage and consider today as we dig a little deeper into our text. Three important realities about justification. And the first one is found in those first two verses of chapter 5. Let's look at those a little more closely. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Believers are declared justified because of Christ. Because of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death on the cross, and ultimate resurrection that defeated death, we can be justified. That's how believers, whether you are a child, whether you are a teenager, whether you are a young adult, whether you are a middle-aged person or a senior, it does not matter. All who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ are justified. Not by what you did, not by what you do, but by what he did on the cross. I want to be very clear about this. It is not by good works. You go on Facebook and you might think it's good thoughts or good karma. That stuff is nonsense. People of faith have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and through him alone. It's Jesus. Now, for some of us, that might seem a little too good to be true. I mean, really, we might try to wrap our minds around the significance and the truth of what I just said, and some of us might be thinking, okay, wait a second, Pastor. I want to believe that. But you don't know all the awful stuff I've done. You don't know what my thought life is like. You do not know the way I've treated people. It is not good. In fact, if you saw all of that, you would think it was awful. I don't want to diminish the weight of what you're thinking and what you're feeling in that moment that could be Holy Spirit conviction in your life. But in the midst of that personal struggle, I want to point you to the text. I want to point you to biblical truth, not my opinion, not what I think. I don't want to offer that. I want to offer truth. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says once again. Since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let me put it another way. Believer, God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you if you were in Christ. He's not mad. He's not angry. Quite the opposite. Hostility between a person of faith and a holy God has ceased. It stopped. God is no longer ready to offer you his wrath. It is now directed in a different way. God is no longer at war with you. Church, this gives us our first truth today. That war has ended because peace has been made. The war that we might feel in our souls, that we might continue to work at, war has ended because peace has been made. And what you and I must take away from that portion of the text is one thing, and that is gratitude. We should be grateful because we do know our hearts. We do know the way we treat people. We do know the sin that is in our lives that we struggle to overcome, and we push away and push away and push away, and yet... God loves us because of Christ. And so therefore, peace has been made. Now the truth of this is, this is not something that you and I could ever accomplish on our own. Couldn't do it. But Jesus could. And thankfully, Jesus did. Therefore, what that means is that you and I should be overwhelmed by the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Peace has come to those who are in Christ today. Peace has come to those who have faith in Jesus. Peace has come to those who are trusting in Christ alone. Church, this is fantastic news. I know in our world right now things are intense and they're difficult and when you see there's a lot of chaos going on in our world, I hope that this will center our hearts on the significance and the centrality of Jesus Christ. In the midst of a world that's spinning and going crazy, we have a firm foundation. But in a group this size, I would be remiss if I didn't ask What I'm talking about is for people who have a faith in Christ. The question is, do you have that faith? Have you acknowledged your sin before a holy and righteous God, repented of that sin, and placed your faith in Jesus? That is what we're talking about. That is a response to the gospel. So do you know this Jesus personally? Do you have faith in him? Friends, that's where it all begins. On the foundation of justification through Christ that brings you and me peace with God. But I want to continue in our text and we'll see that it's not just that. It is a whole lot more. So let's go on. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Not only that, not only what we've talked about in terms of 
the justification of the believer who is in Christ. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces perseverance, excuse me, produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Again, this does not diminish what we see in our world. Our world is in turmoil. There is genuine pain. There is anguish in our culture today. There are legitimate struggles that you and I are walking out in our daily lives. And there is most certainly suffering. And there is suffering specifically for the believer. That is what Paul is trying to help us to understand. And yet in the midst of that suffering, he wants us to see a second reality today. That suffering has a purpose that leads us to recognize that hope is alive. Suffering has a purpose and therefore hope is alive. There's an Australian theologian by the name of Michael Bird. I think he captures this well. Here's what he writes. He says, suffering is formative for one's personal development. Testing the metal of our moral resolve. Christians, he says, are like tea bags. You have to put them in hot water to see how strong we really are. We can smile about that because we know it's true, don't we? We know that when we struggle, when we suffer, those are the things that cause us to grow. Those are the things that move us along on our journey. When things are wonderful and there are no challenges in life, it is easy to get in that kind of cruise control kind of idea, that mindset. But we all know that the most significant times of personal and even professional growth came in the midst of our struggles. Those things happen in the midst of our pain. The trials we face. Even our suffering. When you and I suffer. Now, we all know that that might be true from our own experience, and yet when we read it here, we can acknowledge that it might even seem a little confusing, perhaps annoying, what Paul says. I'm to rejoice in my sufferings. Really? Rejoice? How how am I to rejoice in my pain? How exactly am I to rejoice in my struggle? Look back at verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's how. The Apostle Paul wants all believers to know that by your justification through faith, you have a concrete, solid, secure footing that you are in fact loved by God because he has blessed you, he has given you the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. This is why Jesus refers to the Spirit as our helper, our helper. Because this is a sign and the seal of God's love for all who believe the promised Holy Spirit. 
And that's how you and I can rejoice in our suffering. Now, let's continue on. Looking at Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I know we're nearing the end of the message, but I do want to give you a quick quiz in this moment. Who does Paul say Jesus died for? Who does Paul say Jesus died for? The strong, the mighty, the powerful, the influential, the smart guys? How about the weak, the ungodly sinners? Sinners like you and like me. But I do want you to know this verse played an important role in the Protestant Reformation. That verse that we just looked at a a moment ago. Because in the church of that time period, the Catholic Church in that era insisted that people were made right with God by their good works. Church, that is not what Romans teaches. We were sinners. And that is who Christ died for. That's who he showed his amazing love for. Not because of your works. You were sinful and I was sinful. What this means is that God only saves bad people. Do you know why? We're all bad. All of us. We're all bad. So here's what this means. This means that self-righteousness misses the mark. This means that religious people who do religious things without faith in Christ, they're just doing, going through the motions, they don't qualify. Instead, it is the weak It's the poor, it's the sick, it's those incapable of fixing ourselves, that's who receive God's grace. Listen to verse 6 one more time. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for you and he died for me and his death was not just a martyr's death that had no lasting impact. I want you to know it changes lives forever. Forever. Do you want to know how? Let's look back at verse 9. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We're saved by the life of Christ. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. (laughs) Church, this shows us our third reality today. Jesus' death reconciles, and therefore believers are saved. Jesus' death brings us reconciliation and therefore believers are saved. The teaching of the Apostle Paul about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly is good news to all who believe. 
Because what it does is it reconciles sinful men, women, and children to a holy God. That's what it does. And it removes the wrath of God's judgment upon us. It moves it. And it gives God's people freedom to draw near to Him because we know, we know that He loves us. Church, this is why I began the sermon talking about a walk, about a journey. Because what Jesus has done for all of us who trust in him through faith, he gives us the privilege of journeying with him in a relationship every single day of our lives and in the life to come. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.